So a couple weeks ago, we were at Home Depot. This Home Depot trip was a little bit different for our family. And uh, if you've been following my life, whether on social media or you've been here and hearing of it, you know that we've had a dog for about the last nine months, which was an act of sacrifice on my part. So we go to Home Depot and we had to drive separately. I showed up because we're gonna load a bunch of sod into the back of my car. Uh, Becky's driving the van, which has all the kids in it. And so we show up and we meet in the parking lot next to where the sod's at. So all the kids start rolling out of the car. And do you know what I noticed was in our van? The dog. I said, hang on, and this is a little bit of a side thing. You need to know, like we had some ground rules when we got our dog. One of them is we're not gonna be the people that take our dog to Home Depot. We're not gonna be that person. I will not be that person. Now I am that person. So if that's you, I mean no offense, but I promise, I was like, we can take the dog to the park and do all the fun things, but we're not taking our dog to Home Depot. Yet here we are with the dog at Home Depot. At least it was just in the parking lot because we had to load up this sod. So I need you to understand the scene. I pull up, I'm in my car starting to load all this sod. Becky rolls up with three kids and a dog in that same part of the parking lot. It's a little, it's just a small area of craziness and chaos at that point. While that's happening, Becky gets a phone call, and she says, I need to take this. And I say, oh, no, you don't. She proceeds to take the phone call, moves off to the side, still within all sight of this, and takes her phone call. So now I'm trying to keep the kids, at least in this area of the parking lot, so we don't lose one or have one get hit by a car. Same thing with the dog, plus I'm trying to load up all the sod. So it's a little bit of a crazy moment. I finally get all the sod loaded. I get all the kids. Becky's still on the phone. I was like, at this, are you really on the phone or you just didn't want to be part of this? She says she's still on the phone. I get the kids in the van and then I proceed to ask a question. Where's the dog? Yeah. So I look over at Becky. I'm like, where's the dog? And she's like, I'm on the phone. You deal with it. I'm like, no, I'm not dealing with it. So, so I start saying very calmly, I'm like, guys, we need to find Cooper because I don't know where he is. Now, just by saying that, and I said it very calmly, but my oldest, my sweet, sweet oldest, Connor, has such a sensitive heart. He starts just bawling and in tears of, we lost our dog and we're never gonna have a dog again. And I had, I, I won't lie, I, there's a part of me that's like, that's true. <laughs> Sorry guys, couldn't find him. <laughs> That sounds terrible. No, I didn't do that. But I did have that thought. So I'm like, okay, Connor, you're going to help me look because you're a little older. I can trust you a little bit more. The other two, you need to stay right here next to mom. She's still on the phone like, hey, guys. And I'm like, I'm panicking. So I take Connor and Connor starts going on one side of the parking lot. And I do something I never thought I would do, which is why I never wanted to take a dog to Home Depot. Walking through the Home Depot parking lot. Cooper. Cooper, where are you? And Connor's on the other side of the parking lot, crying, Cooper. It was such a sad moment. So we look and we don't find him. And I'm like, Connor, let's get in the van. Let's drive around. He's got to be somewhere. So I get everybody officially in the van. Becky conveniently starts wrapping up her phone call at this point. And I get everybody in the van. And guess who's in the very back seat of the van? The dog. He had been there the entire time. The entire Connor's just like, oh, we found him. And I was like, he never left, but technically, yes, we found him. So all of that to say, we will never take our dog to Home Depot. Again, that's like lesson number one. Lesson number two, though, is it's interesting to see how we acted and how we responded. 
Because the truth, the, the actual truth and the reality of the situation was Cooper was never lost. He was in the van the entire time. We never lost our dog. That was the truth. However, we acted as if he were lost. We acted very differently. So it's safe to say we acted off of a lie. The dog was not lost, yet we acted as if he did. How we responded and what we said and the tears that were cried, the hopes that we held on to, all of those things were all based off of a lie. So often in our lives, we are living, thinking, acting, and responding on what we think is true, but ends up not being true. Let me say this statement. We act on what we believe to be true, even if it's not. We act, we respond, we have thoughts. We live based on what we believe to be true, even if it is not. And here's why we need to talk about this this morning. We're in a series called Kingdom Minded that's all focused on our thoughts. What our thoughts focus on, the thoughts that we hold on to. Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter three, verse one says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, look, set your sights on the realities of heaven, on the truths of heaven, where Christ sits in, place, in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now here's what we're told to do. Think about the things of heaven not the things of earth. In other words, think of the things of God. Think of the truths of God, not the things of this world. And here's why that's so important. There's a word we're gonna say a lot today, the word overwhelmed. Think of things that overwhelm you. Being overwhelmed is to see the things of this earth, the things of this world, the, the realities in maybe your family and in your home, the realities in our world, the problems and issues, like we see all of those and we are overwhelmed because they're too big for us. We don't know what to do with them. We don't know. So therefore, what do we end up doing? We live our lives based on there's nothing that we can do. And there's a level of truth to that, but we're missing what Colossians is telling us to do, to fix our thoughts, to think on the truths of God, the things of heaven, the realities of heaven, rather than the things of this earth. So we're going to talk through what it means not just to be overwhelmed, but how we make that switch. Instead of focusing on the things of this world, there's a reality and there's a truth that we have to. We have to set our sights on and fix our thoughts on the things and the truths of God. Let's pray and we'll do just that. God, thank you so much for what we can learn from your word. I pray that you speak clearly to each and every one of us, that the only words that matter today are your words. So speak, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts open our ears, open our minds so that we are focused on the things of you. Speak, for we are listening in your name. Amen. We're going to look at a story um, by a man, well, the story is about Elisha. If you were here last week, we looked at Elijah, two different people, very similar. In fact, Elisha was the replacement of Elijah. Go back, watch last week if you want the whole connection. So here's Elisha, who is a prophet of God, which means God gives Elisha a message. Elisha receives that message and goes and tells it to the people of God in the surrounding areas. Usually the messages that these prophets would tell would be, God said, don't do that. 
So Elisha had been doing a lot of that. In fact, just like we read with Elijah last week, there's another king that really doesn't like Elisha. So same situation, just different person. Here's a king that's coming to find and attack and to capture Elisha. And you're going to notice the scene, notice the situation on how overwhelming it would have been. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. It's going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 14. If you want the whole story, go back and read the rest, the earlier parts of chapter 6. We're going to pick it up once the king finds where Elisha's at. He's been searching for Elisha. He now figured out where Elisha is at. So here's the scene that starts to unfold in verse 14. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. In fact, it's the city where Elisha is at. So the king of Aram figured out where Elisha was at, sent his army, and surrounded the entire city so that there's no chance that Elisha would be able to escape. So he surrounds the entire city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha's servant, we don't know his name, just called the servant. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and he went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. Look at what he says. I love this. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Oh, no, what will we do now? If you've ever said that phrase, you probably said it in a, in a situation, a setting, an environment where you were overwhelmed. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Oh no, I, this is too big for me. I look around and it said that they were everywhere. Everywhere that this servant looked were horses and chariots and soldiers surrounding the entire city to come after these two men, Elisha and his servant. There's no way out. There's no way to escape. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Therefore, that's the very definition of being overwhelmed. This situation is way too big. For Elisha and the servant. There's nothing that they can do about it, which is why we get the response we get from the servant. What are we going to do? There's no way out. I don't see how this could possibly work out well. But Elisha has a very different response than his servant. Let me read through, and then we're going to go back and talk through it. Verse 16. So after the servant comes to Elisha, we're doomed. We're dead. There's no possible way this is going to work out well. Here's Elisha's response to him. Verse 16. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, I think there's something to be said there about truly looking up, and when he looked up, he saw, look, the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. See, Elisha saw something very different, didn't he? The servant looked out and saw everywhere the horses and chariots and soldiers of the king of Aram. But Elisha saw something very different. When he looked out, yeah, he saw that, but he also saw the horses and chariots of fire of God. So what Elisha said to his servant, I want you to hear it as if it is said to you. And this is not, please don't mishear me, this is not a do these three things and you will never be overwhelmed again. Like that does not exist. <laughs> It's not a hear these different things from Elisha so that when you are overwhelmed, you'll constantly and always feel better. That's not necessarily the case either. But I do think if we focus on Elisha's words to 
the servant, his servant, I think there's something there that will be encouraging, that will be helpful, and maybe even help you take some next steps in your personal faith with Jesus as well. So let's go back and look. Notice what Elisha says. The first thing he says after he hears the the freaking out statement from his servant, oh, we're doomed, it's the end of the world, there's no way we're ever going to get out of this, what are we going to do? Verse 16, Elisha told him, don't be, what was it, you remember, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Now, quick little side note when you're doing Bible studies, these are good little tips So when you're doing personal study, anytime you come across a don't be afraid, you know what you got to look for? Why? That's great, don't be afraid. Why am I not supposed to be afraid in this moment? Like, it seems like a, if there's a time to be afraid, this is a good one to be afraid. Joshua, for example, if you go through the story of Joshua, Joshua, Joshua chapter one, famous passage where God says to Joshua, don't be afraid. But guess what? There's a why behind it. Because I'm with you. So anytime you see and don't be afraid, New or Old Testament, look for the why I shouldn't be afraid. And usually, almost always, it has something to do with God's power or his presence. So side note, that's a good place to look. So we're going to see that part next. Don't get ahead of me. But he says, don't be afraid. My words, if I were to say it differently, I would say, calm down. I say that all the time with my kids. Calm down, calm down. Why are we freaking out right now? Like, calm down. I think there's something to that, though, of don't be afraid. Like, again, the, the servant comes to Elisha freaking out, and maybe rightfully so. And Elisha's first words were, calm down. Don't be afraid. Like, take a breath, get a grip, calm down. We know this, that any decision made, if it's made solely and purely off of emotion, probably isn't a good decision. (laughs) Can we agree on that one? Not if you'll agree with me on that one, that decisions made purely by emotion do not end well. Rarely do they end well. However, they usually lead to regret because we say things we wish we didn't say. We, we move too quickly on something or maybe even too slowly. Emotion, I'm not saying ignore the emotion, but we don't, we should not allow our emotion to be the driving force of our decision making though. In fact, we see that in Psalm. Psalm chapter four, you don't have to turn there. Let me read this for you. Psalm four, verse four says this. Don't sin by letting anger control you because our emotions have the ability to do that, don't they? Where our emotions grip us. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Instead, think about it overnight and remain silent. Hold on to that one. Don't allow your emotions to be the driving force of your decisions. Calm down. Wait. Don't sin as in Psalm 4 says. Don't sin by letting your emotions and your anger control you. But think about it. Sit on it overnight and sometimes even remain silent. That's what Elisha is trying to get across to his servant. Calm down. Wait just a second. So in the midst of being overwhelmed, maybe that's a first thing that you just need to hear. Is, I just need to calm down. I need to calm down. But the second thing, it's not just calm down and don't be afraid for don't be afraid's sake. It's not a because I said so. He says, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, don't miss what Elisha is doing here. Because it's very easy when we, when we see problems, especially when we see problems in somebody else, it would have been easy for Elisha to see the problem the servant was talking about and say, no big deal. Like, no, that's a pretty big deal. If you are surrounded completely on all sides by horses, chariots, and soldiers, that's a pretty big deal. And I love that Elisha doesn't minimize it. 
He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say, what are you talking about? That's not true. No, he's like, no, you're exactly right. We are surrounded. There are more on our side than on theirs. We're going to talk about the our side in a second, but he does admit it. He recognizes and acknowledges there is a problem. That's what he's getting across. That's what I would say to you as well. Acknowledge the problem. So yes, calm down, but acknowledge the problem. So often we, we ignore the realities. We deny the realities or the truth. We say, oh, it's not so bad. We try to just deal with it on our own. If you've ever like tweaked your back before, which I'm now at the age where that somehow happens somewhat regularly, apparently, like brushing your teeth, I tweaked my back. How does that happen? And my dad's like, welcome to getting old. I'm like, thanks a lot. So I'll walk around like twisted and bent over and Becky's like, why don't you go to the doctor? And I'm like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. She's like, well, can you tie your shoes? And I'm like, I'm wearing sandals this week, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> we do that, right? And, and everybody else looks at you and says, whoa, what's wrong with you? And you're like, no, it's fine. I'm good. No, we're super good at ignoring it. We're super good at, at, at just sweeping it under the rug, denying it. But the reality is, no, there is a problem. Let's call it what it is. In fact, if you would be willing to, start to think through just some of the realities. Go through all your different relationships. What's the reality between you and your relationship with God right now? Are you close or are you not? Are there trust issues between you and God? What about your relationship with yourself? Yes, we have a relationship with ourself. What's the reality there? How you think of yourself. How you treat yourself. What you say to yourself. Think about your relationship with your spouse. What's the reality there? How's your marriage? Like, really, how's your marriage? Not like, ah, oh, no, we're good. I mean, we have our ups and downs like everybody. Like, what's really going on in your marriage? What about with parenting and your kids? What about your extended family and your parents and siblings? What about your job and coworkers and bosses and employees, community and neighbors? What's the reality with your finances? Start going through and are there some issues and are there some problems that, ah, you've been saying it's no big deal? But no, it is a big deal. We have to be willing to call it what it is. In fact, one of my favorite prayers to pray is out of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I'd say, write this one down. This would be great study for you this week. The prayer is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You're inviting God to take a good, hard, honest look at your heart and your thoughts, your motives and your thinking. And to say, God, is there anything in me, anything that I'm doing, anything that I'm feeling, anything that I'm thinking, anything that I'm saying, anything that I'm planning that is not of you? Am I focused on anything of this world rather than focusing on the realities and truths of you, God? If so, I want you to show me. I want you to point it out to me. I want you to help me acknowledge the problem and acknowledge the issues so that you can keep leading me through it. So Elisha does a great job of not minimizing the problem. He doesn't focus on the problem, but he does acknowledge it. So Elisha says, calm down. There is a problem. You are absolutely right. There is a problem. But he says, but I see something different. Remember? He says, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And if you're the servant, you've got to be thinking, you're, you're, that's not right. <laughs> because that's not what I'm seeing. Like, you see what I see, right, Elisha? Like, walk outside. Like, you see on the hillside. You see the horses and the chariots and the soldiers. You see, and they're all coming for us, Elisha. Like, you understand that, right? 
Elisha says, yeah, I understand, but there are more on our side than on theirs. And then I love what he does. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Open his eyes and let him see. Let him see the truth, God. See, the fact is both Elisha and his servants, both were looking at the exact same thing. They were looking at the exact same problem of being surrounded on all sides. Yet, they both saw something very differently. Fascinating, isn't it? That you can be looking at the very same thing, yet you see something totally different. And this could have easily turned it into an argument where the servant freaks out and says, oh no, we're gonna die, we're surrounded, there's no way out, ah! And then Elijah says, No, like, yeah, that's a problem, but I'm not worried because there's more on our side than on their side. Then the servant says, no, that's not right. And Elisha says, "Uh, uh uh-huh. And then the servant says, nuh-uh. And then Elisha says, "Uh uh-huh. You could see how this goes back and forth because they're looking at the same thing, but they see something totally different. If I'm very honest and candid with you, I'll tell you the reality of my home last night, um, at least with myself, my wife, and my oldest, Connor. The other two were asleep at this point. Um, But we got into one of the biggest fights we've had in a long time as a family. And and I'm to blame for this one. This one was my fault, so I'll own it, and I will admit it to you today. I would say it in front of them. But it happened because I showed everybody in my family a picture And so some of you have seen this picture floating around for years. It came out, I think, in 2017, but I, for some reason, decided to dig it back up last night. So I pull out this picture of a shoe. And this shoe, when you look at it, people see different things at times. So I looked at the shoe, and I saw a very specific color. So then I showed it to my wife, and she says, what are you looking at? And I said, well, what are you looking at? And then I go and show it to my year old son. I was like, Connor, what, sh- what color do you see on the shoe? And so he told me the color he saw. And I was like, you're totally wrong. And he got so mad at me. We couldn't settle the debate, so we put it online. Because that's what you do to settle debates, apparently. So we put it online. And so here's what I'm going to show you. Go ahead and put the picture up here. So this is the picture that we posted. It's a picture of a shoe. Wait for it. Hang on, can you go to the one that has the... the Go to the one that has all the details on it. Do you have that one? If not, I can live with that one. But I really want the other one. You have three seconds. If not, I'm going to keep going. Okay, so that picture. So we posted this picture of the shoe online last night, and I just asked a simple question, like, what color is the shoe? And I had people vote. And based on the votes, there they are. Look at this. This is as of this morning. 68% of people see gray and teal, which is what I see. If you see gray and teal, would you please raise your hand? Oh, come on, gray and teal people. Like, be proud. There you go. All right, so gray and teal. We see gray and teal, and I kid you not, the, the bulk of the shoe is gray, laces, this little squiggly line, and then the rubber is all teal, or maybe like an aqua. So myself and 68% of people in Instagram world posted that one. But then there's this group of people that are wrong and somehow see pink and white. So if you see pink and white, would you raise your hand? So keep your hands up. Keep your hands up for a second. I've been waiting to say this all day. You are crazy. I don't understand how you see this, but this was the fight in my house last night because I see gray and teal, but my wife sees pink and white. My son sees pink and white. And I'm like, 
How are we seeing something totally different? It's the same shoe. It's like, I'm not making this up. My son got so mad, and, but then I showed him the results. I said, well, Connor, after posting this, I said, most people see gray and teal. And he said, am I colorblind? Do I need glasses? I said, I think so. There's something wrong with you that you got from your mom, and I have no idea what to do for you. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to leave that one there. So you see that, and it's unbelievable, even like right here. And I had some people come up and say, this is freaking me out. I saw gray and teal last night on your phone, but then I see pink and white when I'm in church today. What does that mean? And I'm like, that's Patrick. And I'm like, there's something wrong with you too. No flipping and flopping. You have to pick one. So how does this happen? How do we, how do we end the debate? Because here's the problem. It's a truth problem. Because the, the argument for gray and teal is, I see gray and teal. The argument for white and pink is, I see white and pink. And we could go back and forth and back and forth because so far, truth has been based on, right here in this conversation, our truth is based off of what I see. And that's it. We even live in a culture where you hear the phrase, your truth, my truth. Well, if you see that, then that must be true for you. And if I see this, then that must be true for me. That's not truth. That is what you see. And you have to understand there's a difference from what you see, what you think, what you feel, what you want, and the truth. So how do we discover the truth? And let me make that clear. We don't decide what's true. We discover what's true. So how do we discover the truth? How do we figure out what's the truth? Is it gray and teal or is it pink and white? Here's the way you do it. You go to the source. You go to the maker, you go to the creator of the shoe, and you figure out what was actually made. So if you go to Vans, Vans shoes, here's the shoes that they actually created, and I hate to inform you, they are white and pink. Now, no, 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 don't cheer for that. Absolutely not. <laughs> here's the main struggle, though. Here's the biggest struggle. What am I supposed to do now? As somebody that sees gray and teal, but now discovered they are pink and white, I have a choice, don't I? I can say, nope, I still, I, I, I see it as gray and teal. I will not believe the truth, so I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do and see it the way that I want to see it. Or can I say, okay, so I see gray and teal. I recognize the truth is pink and white. So I'll submit to the truth and I'll say it's pink and white even though I'm seeing gray and teal. Are we willing to get past just what we see and what we think and what we feel? Because those are bad compasses for truth. And can we go to the source, to the creator, the maker, and discover the truth? Because please don't mishear me. There is absolute truth and there is an ultimate authority and it is God. And through his word is where we are told about those things. So we have to discover those. So for the servant, they could have argued back and forth, back and forth. And I love that Elisha didn't engage him in an argument. He prayed. There's no way I'm going to convince you, servant. There's no way I can explain it. I just need your eyes to be open. And that's what he prayed. So he prayed. Let's go back and read it again. So he prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes. And let him see. Man, I would pray that for you. 
that in the midst of being overwhelmed, you would calm down. You would acknowledge the problem. There are very real problems that are bigger than you are. Much bigger than you are. But I pray that your eyes would be open to the realities of heaven, that you would open your eyes to the truth. So even though you see yourself surrounded like Elisha and his servant, I pray that God would open your eyes so that you would see the truths of God, that he is with you. And that's exactly what happens here. It says here that the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, look, he saw the hillside around Elisha, and it was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He saw the realities of heaven, and he saw the truth. May our eyes be opened to the truths of God. Because remember what we said earlier? We act based on what we think is true. And it just got me wondering, I wonder what this servant might have done differently, how this story would have been different if his eyes were never open to the truth. But once he sees the truth, he recognized the greatness of God, that God is bigger than any of the things of this earth, and he is bigger than any of the problems that are overwhelming us in those moments. But the story's not done. So both of their eyes are open. They see the truths of God. But look at what happens next, verse 18. As the Aramean army advanced towards them, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. This next part's hilarious, verse 19. Then Elisha went out and told them. He's talking to the army that had come to get him, but it's now blind. He goes out and told them, you have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. This was the first encounter of, these are not the men you're looking for. You're welcome for those of you that got that. That's what's happening here. But here's what I want you to take away from this, though, is their eyes are open. Yes, they see the problems surrounding them, but then, yes, they see the, the truth, the great reality that God is so much better and that the armies of God are actually surrounding the people that are surrounding them. But even in the midst of that, the army still attacked Elisha and the servant. It says they advanced. And this is where, as Christians, we can get stuck. We're like, well, I, I see that God's bigger, and I trust that he's bigger. Why are the problems still coming at me? Why are they still advancing? Like, isn't God supposed to snap and make it all better? Why isn't he doing anything? Don't miss this. The armies still advanced on them. And what did he do? Instead of running and hiding or running and running, instead of doing anything else, do you remember what he did? What did Elisha do in the moment? The Aramean army advanced toward them, and Elisha, do you remember? He prayed. He prayed. And he had confidence in his prayers because he has seen the chariots of fire surrounding the enemy. And he prayed. In other words, we depend on God. In the midst of being overwhelmed, in the midst of being focused on the things of this earth, we raise our eyes and we fix our thoughts on the truths of God. And we depend on him. We rely on him. Now, I'll tell you, you're not going to find that in any overwhelming slash self-help book. No, in fact, I actually Googled it. And if you Google how to help when you're overwhelmed, if you Google those exact words, you'll get a bunch of articles, you'll get a bunch of blogs on the subject. So here's just a, this is not an exhaustive list, here's a handful of what you should do, suggestions and advice on what you should do when you're feeling overwhelmed. Here they are, you ready? Take time to recharge, take a walk, Sniff something soothing. Chew gum. 
drink water, set healthy boundaries, remove distractions, get some good sleep, eat healthy, reject the idea of being overwhelmed, prioritize, take deep breaths. Now, I'm not saying those are all bad, minus the sniffing things and rejecting reality thing, minus those two. I mean, those are not bad. I wouldn't, I w- wouldn't categorize them as self-help. I would categorize them as like common sense, like you should get some good sleep. I totally agree with that. But are those things going to help you when you are overwhelmed? Again, the definition of being overwhelmed is something is bigger than you. So you chewing gum, I don't see how that helps the problem that's bigger than you. In fact, I found this painting, this is the best description I can find that that visualizes being overwhelmed. Not a real picture, overwhelming. That's what it looks like to be overwhelmed. And there's no amount of sniffing and breathing deeply and chewing gum that is gonna make this situation better. So what are we left to do? The exact same thing Elisha did. I'm gonna depend on God and, what was it again? Pray. We say, God, this is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. I need you to show up. And he does. So I would tell you, just like Elisha, I would say, calm down. Don't make decisions. Don't make rash decisions in an emotional moment. I would say, yes, acknowledge the problem because there are big problems that we're dealing with and facing. And I would say, don't hide from the realities, like face them. I would pray that God would open your eyes to the things of him, to the realities of heaven, to the truths of God. And that instead of just focusing on the problems, that we would see the truth that God is with us and that God is for you, that God will never leave you, and that God is bigger than anything that you face. But I would also tell you to depend on God. That when you're overwhelmed, you will not be able to overcome on your own is why we need a savior. And it's why God sent his son to us to begin with, to do what we could not do, to overcome what was overwhelming for us. So I want to leave you with one question and two prayers that I hope are helpful. The first question is simple. Is God able? It's a yes or no question. Is he able? There's no disclaimer. Well, in this situation or right now, is he able? I'll tell you with all my heart, my answer is yes. And if you can say yes to that, then go on to the next two prayers. God, open my eyes to the truth. The truths and the realities of what I'm facing, the problems, let's not ignore them, let's not wish them away, let's not minimize them. But also show me the realities of heaven. Show me the truths of you, God. That it's not just the problems that are surrounding me, it's you that surround my problems. And then we pray a prayer of dependence on him. God, help me. I need you. I am overwhelmed. I cannot do this on my own. So I need you to show up. Romans chapter 8 speaks to what Jesus did in regarding our most difficult situation, more than any army against us. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from, here it is, the power of sin that leads to death. That's something we could not fix on our own. 
So God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to overcome what will always overwhelm us if it wasn't for him. So wherever you're at, spiritually speaking especially, calm down. Acknowledge the problem. Open your eyes to the truths of God, which means you might have to discover those truths, which start with, starts here. And we depend on him every day of our life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for how much we can depend on you. Thank you that the realities of this world are not it, but there are the realities of heaven we fix our thoughts on. So God, I would pray for each and every one of us that we would fix our thoughts and think on the truths of you. That yes, there are big problems in our lives and huge problems in our world, but none of them are bigger than you. I pray that we seek truth, not just what we see, not just what we feel, not just what we think or what makes sense to us. I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth, your truth, the only truth, the absolute truth. And may we begin to live our lives based on you, not just what we think. Jesus, move in our hearts and help us to depend on you each and every day, in every way. In your name, amen.